everybody, and welcome to a new edition of the award-winning Talking About Cars. I'm Randy Cardoon. Everybody has a car story. Just a reminder, if you listen to us on iTunes, subscribe, and we'd also love a review and a rating. And if you're listening on SoundCloud, give us a like. And if you'd like, leave a message. Also, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and soon you'll be watching us on YouTube. This week, Faith Granger grew up in Europe, came to this country, and fell in love with a car. A car that took her eight months to find and helped her fulfill a dream of producing her first big-time movie called The Deuce of Spades. When did Faith's car story begin? I was probably about 10 years old when I walked into the living room where my father was sitting and I told my dad, Dad, I want you to explain to me why do cars move? And so he sat down and explained the engine, the concept of an engine, a cylinder, compression, ignition. Yeah, I was fascinated. I was hooked right there and then at 10 years old. I was tinkering with my dad on his car, uh, helping him. I've rebuilt carburetors when I was 14. Just, you know, helping my dad and, and with the help of other friends. I've always liked everything mechanical. I loved cars. I loved strong engines, you know burning out, being pinned to the back of the seat. Um, there is a feeling, of course, with the, the old cars that is absolutely unique that you'll never get from driving any kind of other car, in, in fact. What kind of car were you working on with your dad, do you remember? It was an Opel. Uh, don't ask me the model. I was a little too young back then, but uh, it was a coupe. Uh, and uh, it had a double carburetor, so that I, I remember. Now, you grew up where? I was born in France. And I was uh, raised in Beirut. My father worked for the French embassy, so we moved to Lebanon. My mother's actually Lebanese, so I'm half Middle Eastern, I guess. Although I do consider myself citizen of the world, so I've sort of, I have a heart without frontiers. And I found my home in the U.S., a beautiful country, which I adore. And I've been living here since uh, the 80s, so it's been a while, despite the accent. <laughs> I, I Just so people were listening, going, huh, that, I wonder what accent that is. Well, there you go. What's the car scene, and before we get to the rest of it, what's the car scene like as far as classic cars in Beirut that you remember cars? There were no classic cars. Although, uh, an interesting fact is that all of the taxi drivers back there drove all Mercedes so nothing but Mercedes. If you saw a Mercedes on the street, that, that was a taxi. You could hail it, even though it didn't say taxi or anything on it. They were older, uh, Mercedes, but there was really no classic cars there. Uh, I was only exposed to muscle cars. I remember uh, an old boyfriend of mine when I was you know, only 15, and um, he had a Trans Am. And that was one of the first cars that uh, I was burning out with, and it was a very powerful car. I loved it. Uh, I need to mention that because of the lack of rules for driving in Lebanon, for example, the entire city doesn't have a single traffic light or stop sign back then. It was pretty crazy. So uh, you just had a road, a car, and you just drove. And my father taught me how to drive when I was 11. So I've been driving since I was 11. So back around, what are we talking, the 80s, the 70s, something like that, uh, when you were young, that they seriously did not have a single traffic light in, in Beirut or Lebanon? If I answer this question, I will date myself. Give me a general, somewhere between the 70s and the 90s, they did not have a single traffic signal in Lebanon. Well, let me put it to you this way. I, I left Lebanon. It was in around 1982 or so, and no, they still did not have any traffic lights. But I have not been there back, uh, back there since it might have changed. All right, let's talk a little bit about the fact that you came here. How did we get to the point where you became interested not only in, in old cars or classic cars, but getting into film? How did that happen? 
Well, I need to make a small pause to mention that this is such a, a unique story. I actually just finished a miniseries documentary, six episodes, that basically talks about how this whole thing unfolded. It's, it's a very interesting... So, so you actually not only did your movie, but you did basically a documentary on making the movie. Yes, I just released it literally 10 days ago. It took about a year and a half to, to make. Um, and uh, it really shows you how, how crazy sometimes, you know, life works in mysterious ways and uh, takes you places where you would never envision yourself going. I have been an artist all my life. I've been in the music fields for, and that's why I came to America. Yeah, and, uh, you know, when I came to America, I came with my love of music and my love for cars. And uh, What kind of instrument did you play? I am a singer-songwriter, I play guitar mostly, but I also play uh, sitar, oud, mandolin, all kinds of instruments and produce. So I was pretty much, uh, again, a self-contained artist even in the music field at the time. So how did this lead to you getting involved with cars? I've always wanted to have a hot rod. When I came to America, I saw my first hot rod in front of Bob's Big Boy by accident. I heard a, a loud engine. I turned around and saw this Merc. I didn't know if, even if you know what it was at the time. I, I now know, of course, that it was a Merc, and it was beautiful. Uh, and I just remember what I thought. I looked at it, and I said, you know, I, I think i just seen the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And right there and then, I knew that one day I would have a hot rod. But, of course, coming here with $400 in my pocket, a uh, one-way ticket and a suitcase, literally, um, I uh, basically focused on my music career and any money that I had at the end of the month went into buying instruments and, you know, the gear that you need to, to record, to do shows. I could not entertain the idea of buying a hot rod, and especially not a 32 Ford Roadster. They're not the cheapest hot rods around. So... I took a break from the music business after probably about 20 some years of doing it full time and decided to treat myself and whatever money I had in my savings, because I am not a rich person, went into buying my dream car. And of course, uh, when I thought I'm going to buy a hot rod, the first thing I thought was, of course, it's going to be a 32 Ford. Now, you probably wonder why a 32 Ford. I was just wondering why a 32 Ford. Go ahead. (laughs) I, from the first time that I laid my eyes on old photographs shot on the dry lakes at El Mirage of these old jalopies with their numbers painted on their flanks, um, covered in dust, you know, stripped down to the bare minimum, no windshield. The, if you look at my car, which is parked now behind you, you'll see I, I don't have a windshield, I don't have no fenders. Uh, I drive it the way that they used to, um, except for my headlights, which I need for driving on the streets. They, they would take everything off when they raced. And uh, I just Don't you have to have a windshield, though, to drive on city streets? Not if you have goggles and if you are cute and smile. <laughs> That's where I went wrong. Okay, you know, I thought I had a chance to do it, but no, they wouldn't let me do it. Now I know. Okay, so go from there. You could do it, Randy, but you would have to shave your legs. <laughs> okay, well, i got to draw the line somewhere then. Okay. <laughs> so, continue on with this story. So, I, I just was enamored by these old photographs, the cars. I fell in love with them. The, the, the 32 has the class of, again, a 30s car, but it also has a badass attitude of a hot rod. It's got the big, you know, it's a big and small tire-wise. You've got the small tires in, in the front bigger tires in the back, bigger wheels, and it has just that stance that uh, that just really, for me, was, was really what fits my personality. Um, and of course, I fell in love uh, with the car. I took a while to locate this uh, 32 Ford. And uh, when I saw it and sat for the first time behind the wheel to try it out, I knew right there and then 
that this was the car for me after eight months of looking every day. Where did you find it? It's a car that uh, comes from Minnesota and was imported into California by a gentleman. He forgot to tell his wife he just bought a hot rod. <laughs> and they were in the process of moving. She was not pleased. So you got a really good deal on this, basically. Yes, I got a, got a good price because, again, remember, the 32 Fords are really expensive. They're a little overpriced, I think. Uh, but uh, this one had a lot of original parts. It had that nice retro, you know, uh, traditional kind of look. Uh, and, of course, it needed work. It wasn't finished. It was drivable, but not very reliable, to say the least. Well, you, it's interesting you mentioned Minnesota because you talk about a car that you want to buy. Everybody says, oh, you got to get a Southern California car because there's no rust. It's beautiful out here. You never have a lot of rain. The cars pretty much are intact. Then you say, well, this car came from Minnesota. Then everybody's going, well, wait a minute. You, you, that's snow and rust and salt on the ground. I mean, what kind of shape was it in when you got it? Well, it had already been restored. It was already drivable, uh, but it took uh, 10 owners and uh, it's, it was the restoration project started in the 70s and I finished it in 2006 or 7. So that's how long it took uh, gradually, you know. Uh, but I have to say that the frame, which is an original frame, is in good condition. I didn't see really any evidence of rust, even the hood and um, all of the metal parts in the car are in good condition. I think this car spent most of its time in the garage because, again, it wasn't uh, really drivable for so, so long. Faith, what, uh, what else is in your garage right now aside from this car? What do you drive? I assume you have another car. I am a one-car woman. Seriously, you don't have like a daily driver. This is your daily driver? I do, I do. I have a, a truck in order to be able to tow my trailer because I do tour uh, quite a bit with the film, which probably talk about in a moment um, and but when I do tour um, a lot of the time I'm currently towing the trailer with my tour bus my RV what kind of truck are we talking about it's a it's a Toyota Tundra in fact it can be seen at the beginning of the film and uh, it's a good car very reliable truck uh, and uh, when I travel I don't have the, the pickup so I'm only driving my class A motorhome towing the trailer everywhere I go my Roadster is my daily driver. I'll do groceries with it. I'll go to the hardware store, buy stuff. I've carried tires with it. Uh, I cruise with it. I've cruised every city and every whole town in the U.S. Uh, for an entire year I was on the road. It was absolutely phenomenal. And again, that's covered in the documentary. Oh, Lots cool. of adventures and great times. What I always find interesting is, uh, so you, you got to this point and somewhere along the line you decided, okay, I'm going to make a movie. How did that come about? How did you decide somewhere along the line to say, I'm going to make a movie about this kind of car? Well, I say, you know, God works in mysterious ways. I had no plan uh, of making a film, although I always thought it'd be interesting one day to try to make a film because it's, uh, again, artistic expression. I'm very artistic, but I was in music. Yeah, and I didn't come to uh, L.A. for purpose of being an actor or a director or making movies. I was just pursuing my, my music career. At any rate, uh, the hot rod, you know, I, I again, looking at uh, all these old photographs, as I was driving this car a lot at the time when I bought it, I went to a lot of car meets and car shows and met a lot of old timers. They adopted me immediately because they could see that I was sincere and how much I loved the car. Uh, this is my car. I love this car. I will never sell it. Uh, you could give me 10 millions right now. I would still not sell this car because it's changed my life and I have this connection with this car. We're one. We have bonded. And uh, we're still in the honeymoon phase after about almost 10 years I've had this car now. Wow. So, uh, you know. So it hasn't done anything to really like get you angry, like dropped oil in places you didn't need, you know, that would embarrass you or anything like that? 
Well, it's done a few things, but I think that would be a long conversation. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a, you have to forgive if you want a marriage to work. You know? oh. <laughs> this is like a marriage. But well for the most part, no, it's been pretty reliable. But there were times where, yeah, I've been stranded on the side of the road many times and got myself back on the road. It's a nice feeling to know how to work on your car enough that you can solve a technical problem and get back on the road. But uh, at any rate, you know, um, when I... Uh, bought the car, I, the old timers that I met, uh, they adopted me and uh, shared a lot of their stories uh, from the past, uh, racing, street racing, drag racing, uh, of course dry lake racing, all of which taking place in the birthplace of hot rodding in Southern California where I actually lived. So um, I became fascinated and bought every book, uh, watched every old film from the 50s that I, I was so hungry, but I couldn't find any new films. There was none. Uh, American Graffiti in 1972 was not really a hot rod film, but you know, there were some hot rods there and a hot rod guy, okay. And after that, really nothing. And uh, I was just curious as to why uh, no one had made a hot rod film. Somebody needed to tell the story. Uh, the old timers, you know, they're getting old, we're losing them, uh, regrettably. Uh, and uh, I wanted to be able to give them tribute and most importantly, to bring back to life on the big screen. Uh, this glorious uh, era, a slice of Americana, you know, the 50s hot rod era, and do it so by giving justice to the cars so that the film would be absolutely 100% accurate to the era, to the cars. And it has been indeed dubbed most accurate depiction of 50s hot, rod hot rodding ever filmed, which, you know, I'm a woman, I didn't live the era, and I'm not even from this country, so it shows you just how much research went into the film. Okay, so Faith, you come up with the idea, you know, it'd be a great idea to come up with a similar movie that tells the story of these hot rods that, we, that really hasn't been touched in a long time, like you said, from American Graffiti. Now, the idea of saying, you know, there should be a movie, and then saying, you know, maybe I'll do that movie, to actually going out and doing the movie. I mean, Hollywood and Los Angeles and all across the world are full of people who come up with that great idea. You know, gosh, wouldn't it be great if they had that kind of movie? You actually did it. Did you get help? I mean, how do you how do you get to that point where you say, I'm going to go ahead and do it and do it? Well, you know, uh, first of all, we have to say there was some kind of an inspiration there. Where it came from, I cannot say. But I remember distinctively, I was at the Grand National Roadster Show for the 75th anniversary of the Deuce. My car was on display. I had shot a little snippet of with my little camera while I was driving around LA in my roadster just people looking and asking me questions and the adventure of being a woman driving a roadster and I played it on a TV set next to me it was just really I mean what anyone could do with a $200 camera I had no skills whatsoever but I have I do have a very good eye and actually an amazing eye but at the time I didn't know it yet however when I was standing there and I saw people looking at this little snippet that I had shot from the hip uh, they looked so happy they had this big smile on their faces and I was basically thinking, you know, everybody wants to see a hard rod film. I want to see it. They want to see it. Why not make one? And all of a sudden I hear this little voice in my head. It popped into my head saying, you should do it. And really, I thought it was a crazy idea because I was like, well, I, I don't know how to make a film. You know, I mean, making a little half hour thing shot like that with a little camera is one thing, but making a motion picture. Now we're talking about one of the hardest things that you could do and Number two, a period film, even harder. And it's expensive. I mean, to actually do that kind of film, it's not cheap. It takes crew, it takes money, it takes skills, it takes experience, it takes schooling. I had none of the above. However, 
I did have the car. I knew a lot of people because I had been on the scene for a while now uh, that had cars. Um, I had a whole wardrobe, vintage, because I was a swing dancer already and bought a whole bunch of vintage, uh, authentic clothes from the 40s and 50s. So I started making a list and I was like, you know, check, check, check. I'm artistic enough. I know I have a pretty good eye. Um, and initially I was just going to do a kind of a fun film, you know. I didn't really think about doing a very serious Hollywood-worthy film. But as I started to work on it, literally three weeks after the car show, when I came home, I started writing the script. And I want to tell you how the story evolved, because at first, the first question I asked myself is, okay, I want to make this film, but what is it going to be about? And the first thought that came to my mind is, ah, it's going to be about an old letter from the 50s resurfacing. Because in real life, once upon a time, a few years prior, I uh, was living with a boyfriend of mine and uh, we bought an old car together. Uh, and uh, he was tearing it apart. It was a restoration project. And what kind of car? It was a Hudson Terraplane 1937 uh -huh. business coupe. Pretty rare, not a whole lot of those around. And uh, so he walks up to me and goes, uh, you know, he was in the garage working on it. He walks into the living room and goes, face, look what I found in the trunk of the Hudson when I was tearing it apart. And he hands me this old letter. Uh, it was a 40s love letter from a, a, a young man going to war to his sweetheart. And in the Hudson. In the Hudson. Well, that's what he said. We'll come to that in a second. <laughs> so I was like, oh, my God, you know, it was like discovering a treasure. And I was so touched by this letter. I couldn't help but wonder whether this young man had survived the war. Was he able to get back to his sweetheart, marry her? For three days, all these thoughts were going in my mind. And how was this letter connected to the car? And of course, uh, on the third day, he comes into the living room and goes, hey, Faith, you know, uh, that letter I told you I found in the trunk of the Hudson. Ah, nah, it was a it was a joke. I didn't find it in the trunk. It's a real letter from my dad, but it wasn't in the car. So I was very disappointed. No wonder he ended up being my old boyfriend eventually. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. But it, but it instilled in right. your head. Exactly. It was a blessing in disguise because when I thought about making the film, I remember this and how it made me feel when I found that letter. And I was like, ah, a woman in the modern days finds a barn find, buys it, she's restoring it, she stumbles upon this letter. Stamped, sealed, never mailed. A love letter from Johnny to Betty begging her to take him back. Inside of the letter, a ring, a gold ring with a chain that he's asking her to take back. So we understand that she must have broken up with him, given him his ring back, but the letter is never mailed. So of course, my character um, start to wonder, how is this connected to the car? Who is this man? What happened to him? And she really becomes very involved and willing to go to great lengths. You say you're a character. Are you in the movie as an actress? I do play the owner of the car. It just seemed to make sense. And especially when, you know, I didn't have a budget to hire actors. But I was going to say you probably, you know, gave yourself a really good rate and was probably really cheap to employ. <laughs> yeah, I worked for peanuts, literally. Um, but this is really, I want to clarify that this is not why I made the film. I really did not want to be an actor in the film, uh, but uh, it just made more sense. And I'll get into that in a moment. But at any rate, you know, that was the premise of the story. She finds a letter and then the, the story, it's the catalyst. And the story begins where this, this uh, woman will just try to find out what happened. And she will, it's like a murder mystery, of, of course. And talking to people, she starts to put this puzzle together to find out the existence of this young man named Johnny Calloway. He was a 50s hot rodder. And we go into a series of flashbacks, which... I must mention is also one of the most challenging thing you can do as a filmmaker is have two timelines. I have a present day timeline 
and a past day timeline and we keep going back and forth between the two. How did I pull it off? I have no idea. Um, people that are Academy Award uh, you know, voters and uh, in the industry have done, they've done, produced films for 20, 30 years. They've seen my film and they know that I have no background, that I had no money, that I had very little help whatsoever, mostly doing everything myself and they were completely blown away. The gentleman who mixed American Graffiti saw the, f the film. I was sitting with him in his living room. I had the opportunity to show it to him. And he's brutally honest and very critical. And when the film stopped, he turned to me and he says, very serious. So, you want me to tell you what I think? You want me to be honest with you? And I was like, oh my God, he's going to tell me he hates the film. <laughs> he turns to me and this is what came out of his mouth. And I swear this is exactly what he said. He said, unbelievable. This is your first film. I said, yes. He said, are you sure this is your first film? I said, yes, it's my first film. He was like, unbelievable. I, I can't believe it. He said, it's so good. Like, did you have two cameras? I was like, just one. He said, your editing is perfect. The continuity is perfect. Everything flows. It's, just, it's a beautiful film. And then he said, if you do not get nominated for an Academy Award, I'm not saying you're going to win, but if you don't get nominated for this accomplishment, there is no justice. Which, of course, I didn't get nominated, so there is no justice. <laughs> but that's okay. This is not, again, why I made the film. I made it for passion, for my love for the car and the era. And Let me ask this. So is it on video or is it film, an actual film movie? I'm not sure I understand your question. Everything now is DVD, so it's a DVD right, format. So it's, so it's digital, basically. Oh, yes, yes. Okay. It, it was shot. I, I was. I got very serious. It took about a year to. Uh, I wrote the screenplay in three months. It was very easy to to write. I had tons of ideas, and then a year to prepare. I talked to everyone I could uh, meet at car meets and car shows. If I saw a car that I liked that was period correct, I would ask them, "Would you be willing to bring your car?" for a scene and I collected names and numbers and I went and looked at places that looked vintage enough that they could pass as a 1950s you know set and if you've seen any of the cars uh, in fact you could see some of the stuff that's on YouTube right now and uh, it shows a little bit of the background it shows a little bit of you behind the scenes and if you want to see some of the cars I've seen it the cars are amazing there's some great vehicles there period vehicles and uh, it shows you putting together this movie and, and it's just amazing because you, you seem to know exactly, I want this here, I want this there, I want you to do this, I want you to do I mean, you seem so sure of yourself. Were you really sure of yourself when, when you were making the movie, this is exactly what I want? Or were you kind of wondering at the end of the day when you looked at the dailies or whatever it is that you look at, uh, oh my gosh, can't believe I did that, maybe I should have done it differently. You know, that's what's amazing is, again, I have no schooling. And uh, during the first year, I bought the camera and learned how to use it. I couldn't find a director of photography that was willing to donate time. So I had to learn how to light. I bought a couple lights and started learning. And I went a little bit on YouTube. You know, there's a few tutorials just at the bare minimum. There's no way you could make a film with the bare minimum that I watched. But I watched a lot of films and I would listen to the director's commentaries, make notes on the angles, how they're filming. And um, basically when I started filming, I learned, my, my film school was making the film. And what is amazing is that I actually exactly knew what I wanted. I would waltz on the set, do everything from A to Z, from unloading the truck, I would do the hair and makeup for the actors, I would put them into their wardrobe, I would block, I would move the lights, I would set up, I would light, I would direct, I was listening to the sound. Uh, while I was shooting, I was behind every shot in the film I shot, and unless I'm in front of the camera, of course. Uh, but it, it was just really, I was completely submerged with this film. But I always knew what I wanted.
Where did the determination, because let's face it, you are a de one determined lady that sees something she wants, she goes for it, may not know what she's doing, but she's doing it anyway. It, it, where did that determination come? I mean, were your parents anything like that? I mean, where do you think that determination came from to do things the way you did it? I think it's a personality trait, you know. Uh, I'm very strong, um, and I've always been that way. So when I, I want something, I give it 200%. Um, there was a lot of sacrifice that went into this film. There was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Um, the... I was so sleep deprived. It took two years to film all the scenes. I had a part-time day job, so I had my day job Monday through Friday, every Saturday and Sunday for two entire years. Picture that in your mind, filming every Saturday, Sunday. Didn't matter if it was my birthday, it didn't matter if it was Christmas, if it was raining, if I was sick, I was out there shooting. And that's what it took to complete Deuce of Spades. Deuce of Spades is a two-hour period drama, and it's an epic. People have said it's a cult classic, it's a masterpiece, it's won seven film awards, which blows my mind, considering how it was made and with no experience. Is uh, this a movie that's going to show up someday in a movie theater? I mean, have you got any interest from some of the movie houses, or is this just something right now you're doing on uh, DVD? I am an independent filmmaker, and I really believe in staying independent um, all the way. So I did my self-distribution. I forewalled, uh, which in uh, you know cinema lingo mean that I went on the road with my film once it was released, and uh, we did uh, quite a lot of screenings. Some at large theaters. Sometimes I would screen um, at uh, car meets. Uh, we've screened a little bit everywhere. I have my own little cinema system, so if a theater was not available, we would direct the screen and off we went, you know. It was really um, very freeing to be able to do that where the filmmaker has full control. And uh, I did not want to seek distribution because I had heard so many horror stories of filmmakers, you know, never recouping any of their costs uh, once the uh, distribution company would sign them, you know. So I decided to do it myself, and I've sold a lot of units, which is amazing uh, for an independent. I've, you know, exceeded by t more than ten times the uh, expected amount of DVDs that one should sell when you sell it yourself, and you are an unknown director. But to put things into perspective, the film has over 160 actors, hundreds of cars, locations that are amazing, music that's amazing that was donated. Everything was donated to this film. People donated because they were inspired when they saw my passion and determination. And they loved the cars, but mostly because they were like, wow, this woman has a vision and a dream. And people wanted to get behind me because, again, you know, I was like a locomotive and I was just going full speed and nothing was stopping me. <laughs> so Faith Granger is who we're talking to here on Talking About Cars here on uh, iTunes and SoundCloud and, of course, TalkingAboutCars.net. You have this car. Have you ever thought of getting another one? I mean, is there a car that's number one on the Faith Granger? I want to get a car just like that list someday, some other car. No. No, I am fully content with uh, this car. That's my car. It's changed my life. It's, it's inspired so many people. It's very special. Um, and um, it wasn't specifically an expensive car. And that's not what it's about for me. But it helped you with the movie. And I always wonder, okay, you've done this movie. You're doing well. I mean, you're getting a great reviews. You've won awards with it. Are you going to do another car movie? Do you have another plan to do any movies after this? Uh, God willing. Um, I just, as I said, finished releasing uh, Against All Odds, the making of Deuce of Spades, which is my miniseries. Um, and the next step for me is doing the sequel, with the, which is a continuation of the story. I don't like saying sequel. 
the continuation of the story, I have not quite done telling the story of Johnny Calloway, so I do want to make a second film to finish, a second installment to finish the story. After that, I don't know. I, I try not to think that far, you know. <laughs> Movie producer, director, actor, makeup lady. She even swept the floors. You name it, she did it. Faith Granger. For more information about her movie, Deuce of Spades, check out her movie trailer on YouTube and the making of the movie trailer on YouTube, as well as her website, deuceofspadesmovie.com. Hey, if you're listening to us on iTunes again, number one, subscribe. It's free. You'll automatically get notified when a new show uploads. Then rate us and write a review. If you're listening on SoundCloud, like us and follow us. Then tell your car pals and fellow club members about all the great guests and cool stories we have on the award-winning Talking About Cars. Also, check out our videos with our partners at Generation Auto on YouTube. Until next time, I'm Randy Cardoon. Join me as we have some fun talking about cars.